this. We're in Exodus chapter 40. Uh, I hope that video was helpful for you because we've been in Exodus for a long time, and, and it's, it might be hard to remember uh, where we started. Um, we get into the tabernacle today, and we really haven't talked much about the tabernacle, even though a lot of Exodus um, discusses the tabernacle in depth. But, but before we get there, uh, I've just been reflecting uh, on, on the Exodus story, on God, on, on what he does in Moses. And there's a, a, just a couple things I, I don't want to miss before we go into chapter 40. So you, you look at Moses, and, and Moses was transformed. Like if you're doing the Bible read-through uh, with us, you know, we see Moses this week at the burning bush. And he is, he's not the same guy. He's not the same person um, that, that Exodus ends on. And, and this isn't unique to Moses. This is what God does. God shapes his people. He molds his people. He, he, he changes us. Right? The biblical word is he sanctifies us. He makes us more and more like his son Jesus. Right? Praise God for that. So I hope that as we've gone through Exodus, or, or as you're reading through it with the Bible, read through that, that you marvel at, at God's shaping, his maturing, his growing of Moses. And I think a natural question for us is, how has God changed you? How has God transformed you? Do you remember? If you do know Jesus, do you remember what you were like before Christ? Right? Praise God. That God didn't, God didn't leave you the way he found you. And when's the last time you worshipped God for his faithfulness in growing you and shaping you and molding you and changing you and refining you? And where do you see now that God needs to change you? Are you asking, do you, do you see in yourself, God, I, I'm so not like you here. I need you. I need you to change me, Lord. Or are you resisting God changing you at all? I think it's easy to, uh, or, or at least I guess the thing I'm often struck by when I, when I read through Exodus, when I look at Moses, I think about his life. I'm blown away by, by his boldness and his, and his leadership. Um, I think I, I just naturally gravitate to that part of the story. I don't know if you do. But it would be a mistake to think that, that, that that's like the pinnacle of, of what God does in Moses or, or even the, the reason. It's, it's, it's actually secondary. I think what we really see in Moses is that he just wanted more and more of God. So different from the beginning of the book to the end. Like He just wants to know God. And when you see God, when you get even just a glimpse of God, you want more. Like That's the natural reaction, is that you want more and more of God. You want his presence. Like Moses, he just wanted to be with God. He had lots to do, but he wanted to know God. He wanted to see his glory. He wasn't satisfied in a very appropriate, good way. He was not satisfied in his relationship with God. So do you long to know God? Or are you content with, with just knowledge about God? Or, or, or are we content with, with these mountaintop experiences that we had with God at one point where he transformed us and it was radical and it was amazing and we're just kind of living off the fumes of that? Moses continued to lean into God. I thought Matt did a great job last week asking us, like, are we, are we meeting with God? 
Are, are we coming before God? Do we just long for his presence? And I don't know that he said it exactly this way, but, but he talked about, do you, do you build your day around God? Right? Like, do you build your day around being with the Lord? I hope so. I hope if you were here last week and you heard those things, that, that, that this last week has actually looked differently for you, and that this next week will, will look different as well. Let's, let's pray. God, you are. You're indescribable, Lord. We try in all these ways. I mean, we use biblical words, but none of it comes close, Lord. And it's, it's easy for all of us um, to just approach you in routine ways, in cavalier ways. Lord, I don't want to do that, God. I don't want to be like that. I want to be way more like Moses, who, who just wanted to be in your presence, wanted to see who you were, wanted to know you, Lord. That's what changed him. God was being with you. God, would you use our time together today? Would we meet with you as a body today, Lord? But would it not stop there, Lord? Would we, would we meet with you throughout the week? God, would we walk in step with your spirit, Lord, that you've given us? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you reveal yourself to us. Holy Spirit, we're asking that you would speak now. You would transform us, Lord, that you wouldn't just build us up with knowledge, but that you'd transform our hearts, our minds, our very lives, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So as I said, we get to talk tabernacle today, and I say get to. I don't know if, if the reading of 1 through 33 there, there's a lot of detail. And if you think that's a lot of detail, we skipped over, for the most part, 25 through 31 is all detail, right, about the tabernacle. And, and, and what's happening is, is God is coming to dwell in the very midst of his people, right? The tabernacle, is a, it's a portable tent, right? Eventually, Israel would have the temple, but this is, this is a portable tent that, that goes along with wherever God guides Israel. This, this tent goes, and, and, and God, God dwells in this very tent. Um, the, the tabernacle means, it means dwelling place. And one year to the day that God freed them, they, they, they start building this tabernacle. So I've got a slide up here of the tabernacle. Um, and, and really, there, I wanted a close-up. There's a courtyard, right, that's, that's all around the tabernacle, okay? And, and just imagine, like, a, kind of a fence made of cloth, okay? Um, there's, there's an entrance over here, and, and Joe Schmo Israelite could go into the courtyard, Okay? But, but the tabernacle, um, this is only for, for the priests. I've never done this laser thing before. We'll see how this works. All right. I don't even know if you can see that. That's itty-bitty. All right. So this first room here right, is the, the holy place. And I, I just want to point out a, a couple of things. Um, and obviously this is cut out so we can look in it. It did not look like this. Um, whoa. And I don't know what just... Oh, I did that. Whoops. All right. I didn't do that. Good. Okay. So right here table, right? And, and there's, there's loaves uh, of bread there, okay? Um, Twelve, probably for the 12 tribes uh, of Israel, but there's, there's loaves of bread there. And, and, and some people have, have, have compared this almost to like God's dining room table, right? Like this is God's house. This is, this is God's dining room table. And, and, and here, it, it reminds us, it reminded Israel 
that, that God he wanted fellowship with his people. Or he, wanted, he wanted to meet with his people. This is unlike any other man-God um, transaction. Okay, God says, no, this is, this is a relationship here. And, and the bread, obviously, is a picture of God's provision for his people. Later, Jesus would say, I'm the, I'm the bread of life. Um, and then right here is the lampstand. Okay? And, and the lampstand, uh, this, this thing is, is covered by four different layers of cloth. So it is dark. It is not lit up at all except for, for the light provided by this lampstand. It's made of pure gold. You can see, maybe you can tell that there's, there's like arms or branches coming out each side. Um, I read somewhere that, that, uh, that it's estimated that this thing was made of like 75 pounds of gold. Okay, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what some guy thought. Um, so this, this, is, this is what lit it up. Um, and, and, it, and it shaped, uh, it shaped or even the description is that these, these are branches coming out, like almost like a tree, and there's, there's almond blossoms like hammered into it, uh, and, and this lights up the room. It reminds us of Christ who says, I'm the, I'm the light of the world. We've got the altar of, of incense right here, okay, and then this back part right here. This is the Holy of Holies, right, and the only thing in there is the Ark of the Covenant, like the video said. The, the, the tablets were in there, um, Aaron's staff was in there. Uh, a sample of, of the manna that God provided for Israel is in there. Then there's a cover on the top, and it's got the, the cherubim on the top, these angels that, that are on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And, and this, is, this is where God's presence is between the two angels, is the mercy seat. And that's where, so one time a year, the, the, you know, the uh, high priest would come in on the Day of Atonement into the Holy of Holies, right? And he's, I can't even get into all the things he's done just to get into this room, but he comes in to this room with the blood, and he, and he sprinkles it on, and, and it represents, or, or it is, it doesn't just represent, it, it is the covering of Israel's sin w- with this blood, and they had to do this year after year after year. Exodus 6, 7 says this, I will take you to be my people, I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So God freed Israel, right, from slavery. He he frees them. He guides the people. He provides for the people. And we know they rebel against him, right? They, They rebel. They defy God. Some of them repent. There's forgiveness, he revealed who he was, even though they'd been totally unfaithful, but, but he wasn't done. Like, it, that would have been enough, right? He could have just freed them, forgiven them. That would be great, but he's not done. God's, God wanted to dwell with his people. That's what happens here with the tabernacle. He, he, he wanted, he, yes, he freed them, but he freed them so that he could be their God and that they could be his people. And, and that meant dwelling right in their camp with him. Exodus twenty nine forty three and following says, There I will meet, and he's talking about the tabernacle. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall uh, be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I'm the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, your God. And, and when you read about the tabernacle, um, you, you might, it might remind you of the Garden of Eden, and it should, because there's actually several clues that, that kind of echo back to the garden. Right? The garden is where God dwelt with his creation. He met with man in the Garden of Eden, just like 
man would meet with God in the tabernacle. The, the entrance, the garden, we find out in, uh, I think it's Genesis 3.24, was, was towards the east. So the tabernacle, as they moved the tabernacle and the camp, they couldn't just set it up any direction. Like, they had to set it up so the entrance w- was at the east. Um, the, the shape of the lampstand and, and even the description of the lampstand, like, it, it, it's supposed to be like a tree. Right? It's supposed to remind, like, a, a, of the garden, maybe the tree of life. When, uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, and they get kicked out of the garden. There's, there's cherubim, right, guarding the, the entrance right here. Uh, so, like I said, cherubim on the, on the Ark of the Covenant. But even to get into the Holy of Holies, there's cherubim in, in that, that veil there, that curtain that was there that held, held back um, man. It later, Israel's temple, right, the one that didn't move, but the actual structure in the woodwork was carved images of trees and flowers. So what's God saying? He's saying, I'm fixing, I'm fixing the problem. Right? I'm fixing the problem that, that man started by sinning, by rebelling against me. He's working out his plan of redemption. It's like he says, okay, humanity, you want to mess this up? Well, I, I, I'm going back. I'm bringing it back to Eden, and it's going to be even better. God always intended to be with his people, and he, he was making it happen in spite of, of man's rebellion. Verse 33 is where Matt ended, and, and, and it ends with, so Moses finished the work, and then verse 34 says this, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So Moses finishes the work, and whew, God moves in. Right, the, the cloud comes down, the glory fills the temple. You get this sense of, of urgency, like God could not wait. Right? So if you've bought a house, maybe, maybe you can relate to that. You, you go to escrow, you sign the papers, right? and then you wait for that call that, that the house has funded. And the first thing you do, you call your realtor, when can I get my keys? Like I want in, I'm packed up, I'm ready to go. God could not wait to move in, to dwell with his people to tabernacle with his covenant people. And, and what this must have communicated to Israel, like they knew they were rebels. Right? They knew they had openly defied Yahweh. They knew that God hated sin. They, they, they were aware that, that God was holy. They certainly knew they couldn't handle his glory. They knew that God was not a pushover. Right, Over 3,000 3, of, of their of their fellow Israelites had died after their rebellion, and yet here is God moving in with them, dwelling with the very people that had rejected him. And forgiving the repentant was great, but God, how are you going to move in with us? How are you going to live with us? I don't know if you've ever forgiven someone, and, and, and totally, in all sincerity, you forgave them, you made it right. But I know there have, there have been times when I've done that, and, and I knew I needed to make it right. But also, at the same time, like, if I didn't really see that person much again, I would have been okay, right? If I never saw them again, like, I probably wouldn't have lost sleep over it. You can imagine, like, that would make sense, God, but that's, that's not what he does. He, he, he moves in with them. Numbers 2 tells us that he's right in the center of the camp, right? They, they camped by tribe around the tabernacle. You kind of imagine these concentric circles going out. He was the center of their nation. Israel had God's very presence with them. And Moses knew. Moses knew that they needed God's presence. Do you know you need God's presence? 
Are, are you desperate for God's presence in, in your life? Because everything we do requires God's presence. Moses got that. He said, God, if you're not going to go with us, there's no point in us going anywhere. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing apart from me. It doesn't matter how talented you are, how much you know. You can do nothing apart from Christ. And our, our job description is too big for us to do anything without God's presence, without God's leading, without God's power at work in us. We will do nothing that matters for his kingdom, for eternity. Your gravestone someday, your whole life is going to be represented by a dash. Man, that feels insignificant. Whole life represented like a dash. This life that might feel so long to you and me. Without God's presence, we're doing nothing. We need God's presence so, so that our life, that little dash, actually makes an eternal difference. So that God is actually doing his, his kingdom work, the things that will not fade or perish. So do we, do we want God's presence or do we just want his stuff, just the benefits of knowing God? Verse 35, it says, And Moses, this is crazy, And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses knew God better than anyone. God met with Moses. It, it says that God, God talked to him face to face like a person talks to his friend. God showed Moses the, the, the backside of his glory. God revealed his, his, his name, his character to Moses. Last week, we heard about Moses meeting with God and that freaky like face glow that Moses had going on. So this is a problem if Moses couldn't go in. If Moses couldn't go in, Joe Schmo Israelite couldn't go in. You and I couldn't go in. Scripture's really clear that God hates sin. Right? And, and our default mode is to make light of our sin. And I mean that even as a Christ follower. Like, I want to make light of my sin. Yeah, I know it's bad, but it's not that bad. It's not. Is it really that bad? And yet, if we look at Scripture, we, we realize, no, the Bible says that our sin is actually devastating. And, and this, is, this is one of those glimpses that, man, even this guy Moses, who knew God better than any man, he couldn't go in. The end of the book um, of Exodus, and, and, and Exodus is really book two of a five-part series, right? The first five books of the Bible refer to it as the Pentateuch. This is, this is book two, so we're, we're not super far into the story, really. But, but the end of the book, in, in some ways, ends on a really high note. God moves in. He dwells with his people, right? The tabernacle was a place where, where sinners could live next to the Holy One and not be consumed, but it does leave a, a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth because access is so limited. Like I said, one time a year, one guy, the high priest, got to go in and, and, and meet with God. So how, how does God live next to you in, in the midst of sinful man? How does this holy, pure God, how is he going to dwell with his people? And the next book, book three, is Leviticus, and it answers that question. Bible read-through friends, right? I've been praying for all of you reading. Uh, I hope you're still going. Uh, Leviticus is a point where a lot of people fall out, okay? 
it can be a tricky book to read, all right? January 30th, I looked. That's, that's when we're in Leviticus, all right? So gear up. I'm praying for you. Um, Leviticus is important. Um, I've heard it compared to, it's like eating your vegetables, okay? Right? Maybe you want filet mignon or like ice cream or whatever. You need your veggies, right? Like the older I get, the more I realize I actually need my veggies. Um, but, but Leviticus is, is really, really good, it's, it's, it's really necessary for us more so than your veggies um, because it, it answers how, how does this holy, how does Yahweh live with these people? How's he going to dwell with his people? And the answer is, is animal sacrifice. The first seven chapters lay out really clearly in a lot of ways. Blood is required. Right? On, on their own, on our own, we are incapable of taking care of our sin issue. We cannot do it. God requires a spotless sacrifice, and this all points to Christ. Like, it, it is beautiful. Like, that's, that's why, like, hang in with Leviticus, because it helps us see, oh my goodness, I need Jesus so badly. He's a sacrifice that would ultimately pay the price once and for all, not requiring this high priest to go in year after year after year and slaughter animal after animal. Like, we need Jesus. He puts an end to the need for more blood because his blood was sufficient. So as you read Leviticus, if, if you're going to do that, as you read it, I, I want you to look. What do these sacrifices do for Israel? And over and over again, you're going to see atonement, forgiveness, atonement, and forgiveness. Our, our sins put us in debt to God. Like, we were toast. And, and we need we need this blood to be the replacement. We need the death of this animal to be the replacement for our punishment. So God made a way through sacrifice to make it, this relationship with Israel work. And, and God's way must be followed. If you're listening to Matt as he read just that short passage, seven times it says, And Moses did as the Lord commanded. And Moses did as the Lord commanded. Over and over again, like I said, 25 through 31 is detail after detail after detail. It's not like fixer-upper fixer edition of the tabernacle, right, where you tell Chip and Joanna, hey, I'm kind of into, I don't even know things like that, industrial or whatever, and, and then you get surprised. Like God says, no, this is how you're going to do it. This is how you're setting up my house. Because God determines how this relationship works, right? And, and Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but, but through me. This relationship is on God's terms. Verse 36, throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the houses, or the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So how incredible it must have been Right. I just try to imagine this week, what was it like to look and see the tabernacle and see this cloud and see this fire? And I think as, as a New Covenant believer, it's tempting to say, man, if only I had a cloud to follow. If only God would, would, would show himself in that way to me, it'd be so much easier to follow after him. Or, or maybe like a, an app where he sends me notifications, says, Greg, go here now. Greg, pray for this person. Greg, do this or that. I, I don't know what it would be, but it's easy in some ways to get jealous of what they had. And yet what we have is so much better. 
John 14, 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. In John 16, Jesus says that the Spirit the Spirit will guide you in all truth. He says in, in John 16, 7, he says, it's better for you. This is Jesus speaking. He says, it's better for you that I leave because when I leave, then the helper, right, the Holy Spirit can come and, 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 and he will dwell in you. You'll be the very dwelling place of God. In Acts 1, like the Spirit comes in, in, in power. The power of the Holy Spirit it should be working in us and, and through us. In 1 Corinthians, multiple times, it says, don't you know you're the temple now. You, believer, Christian, you are the temple. The Holy Spirit is in you. The same one. I was thinking the picture is still there. It's not there. Um, the same one that, that, that came down, the same spirit, the same glory on the tabernacles in you. Right? They used to have to take this portable tent, this, this portable tabernacle, each time they moved, there's takedown, there's setup. Who knows how long that took, and now we're that portable temple because Jesus was sacrificed for us. So God's presence dwells in us. This is crazy. We're, we're going we're gonna to read this actually together later as a church. But because the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we're God's very presence in the world, moving around everywhere we go. God's presence is, is in us. And I'm sure to see God's presence in the cloud and the fire, I'm sure it was reassuring. I'm sure it gave them confidence. We should have that same confidence today. If you know Jesus, God's Holy Spirit resides in you. We think about what a big deal it was for Israel to see Moses go to the tent, meet with God, right? And we read about this a few weeks ago, that He'd meet with God. All of the Israelites would come out from their tent, and, and they would just stare and watch Moses go in. And then, and then they would worship because God meeting with man was, was such a big deal. And now we don't have to watch someone go into a tent, or, or we don't have to go into a tent. We, we are that tent. I was thinking, I was imagining, like, if you were trying to explain this to an Old Testament believer, that every one who followed God, that the Holy Spirit was going to dwell in them, I think their mind would just break. There's no way they could conceive of how crazy it is that God's Holy Spirit is in us. So what are you going to do with this incredible access to God? What what are we doing? Are, Are we wasting what we have in God in us? We have to meet with God. We have to meet with God in this tabernacle. We, we need his word. Uh, man, I'm so excited. So many people have been telling me about just getting in God's word, and I'm just praying for all of us that, that more and more we know God's word. I'm also praying that we pray more, right? That, that we talk to God more, that we commune more with God in this way. I was convicted two nights ago of how faithless my prayers are with my kids, um, when you talk to a little kid, you obviously talk differently than you talk to an adult, right? So every night our whole family prays. And I've got a three-year-old in the room and a five-year-old in the room. So I, I pray differently. And, and, and that makes sense. Like I pray in, in language that's appropriate. What doesn't make sense is I'm praying some faithless prayers a lot of times. And I've been really convicted by that. Our prayers, the Bible tells us God designed it this way. It is so important. 
right? The, the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective because that's how God has made it, that he responds to our prayers. Uh, a guy named Samuel Chadwick, I think like 150 years ago, he said, one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless work, prayerless study, or prayer, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Man, we have access to God. We need to meet with him. We need to pray. We need to ask him to move in power. I don't want to waste. I don't want, I don't want my dash to be a waste. Man, I want God to move. You'll also notice that, that, that when the cloud moved, Israel moved, right? They stayed when the cloud stayed, and they moved. They packed up when the clouds started to move. So are you ready to move? When and where? God says to move. Right? They, they moved. They set up. God didn't say, hey, what do you all think of this campsite? Right? Like They just went where God went because he knew what, what was good. There's one time you might remember earlier in Exodus where God actually leads the people the longer route than, than the quick route because the Philistines were there and he knew that if they saw the Philistines they would lose heart. He knew where they're susceptible. He knows where I'm weak, where I'm susceptible. He knows what is good. So we can trust that where God leads, it's good. We, we can trust that it's good for his kingdom, that it's good for us. So will you move where God leads? Where God leads you through richer, through poorer, in sickness and in health, will we follow God. When you lose a loved one, do not ditch God. You need God as much in that moment as ever. This includes losing your job. And we've got a lot of people in our church right now that are, they lost their job. And I tell you today that God knows what he's doing, that you can trust God in that. What's tempting for me to say is God's going to lead you to a better job, right? That's the kind of like American Christianity. That, yep, God's going to take you you lost your job. We know God's good, so he must be giving you a better job. That might, not be, that might not be the case. God might give you a job that you don't like, right? I hope that my kids get jobs that they love. That'd be great. But what I actually want is that my kids follow God, that they know God, that they know he's good. The point isn't getting a good job that you like with good benefits or working with good people. Man, the point is remaining in God. The point is following our Lord and Savior wherever he goes because he knows what is good. Like I said, Exodus is, is book two of five books. The, the last book, Deuteronomy, says this in chapter 34. It says, in Joshua, right? And Joshua was like Moses' apprentice. You could think of him that way. Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled or was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid hands on him, right? So he's, he's a godly man. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And it says, And there has not risen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him, for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his servants, to all his land, and for all the mighty power now, all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. Now, the Old Testament didn't see another prophet like Moses. It, it, it leaves you longing. I heard a story about a newer pastor at a church. He'd been there for a while, old church, like I think 100 years old. And um, pastor had been there for a few months, 
and, and, and uh, you know, doing all, all his duties, best he can, doing a pretty good job, he thought. And one day, this older saint, she came up to him, and she'd been in the church for decades, right, like 50-plus years. And she came up to him, and, and, and she said, we will never have a pastor as good as you. And, and his heart was just warmed, right? Like, oh, man, I'm doing a good job three months in. She's been here. She's seen. She knows. She said, I've been here 50-plus years. I've seen pastor after pastor, and each one is a little worse than the one before. No? I don't know. I thought that was funny. But God, in Deuteronomy here, there's a longing. Like, no one's as good as Moses. No one's as good. There's a longing for Jesus, right? The, the women going through the Hebrews Bible say, you're going to get to read about this. You're going to get to study this. It's so good. It, it all sets up Christ. Next week, we get into John, and, and boom, here is Jesus. A few weeks later, we'll read in John 1.14. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt or, or tabernacled, right? That's what that word means, or, or, or pitched, uh, pitched their tent, right? Pitched his tent, right with them. It says he tabernacled, he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son, the Father, full of grace and truth. Some have paraphrased, uh, someone paraphrased this verse, and he, he wrote it like this. Um, he said, uh, Jesus moved into our neighborhood, right? Like, just like God moved in, he, he dwelt with Israel in the tabernacle. Jesus came in the flesh, not only to dwell with man, but, but make the way for man to be with God forever. Jesus came to be the sacrifice that, that Leviticus sets up so well, the sacrifice that would atone for, that, that would pay the price for all who would follow Christ, for all that would trust in Jesus. They would not only be forgiven of sin, but adopted as God's very own children, with God's very presence dwelling in them. Revelation 21, this is, this is where it's all headed. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And then verse, verse 16 says, the, the new Jerusalem, it, says, it describes the new Jerusalem. And it says it's a square, like the Holy of Holies. It says the city inside, it says it's pure gold, which reminds us of the Holy of Holies, right? There's gold all over the place. Then it says there's no need for sun or moon because the glory of God gives its light. And then it says uh, its lamp, right, which reminds us of the lampstand. Its lamp is the lamb. Its lamp is Christ that lights. And there's all these echoes, these reminders back to the tabernacle, back to the garden. And God is showing this is what I'm doing. I am redeeming. I'm making all things new. I'm fulfilling the promise that I'll be their God and they will be my people, that I'll dwell with them. This is all through Jesus, the spotless lamb. He makes it possible for sinful people to dwell with God, for God to be there. He is the substitute for the sinner. So we're going we're gonna to celebrate this, and, and one way we're going to do that is communion. And um, during the, the next few songs, um, there, there are going to be guys that will come up and, and serve communion. They're going to say, um, body of Christ broken for you as they give you the bread, and blood of Christ shed for you as they give you the cup. And you're going to hear this over and over and over again because we, we want to remember Christ's sacrifice, what he's done for us. So, so you can come and get that. But I encourage you, don't rush taking the elements. Take them back to your seat and take your time. Right? Like, 
talk to the Lord. Just maybe just be silent for a while and think of how crazy it is, the access that you have to God. This is something, the Bible's really clear, communion or the Lord's Supper is for people that have decided to follow Jesus. So if you're here and you haven't decided to follow Jesus, this meal just isn't for you yet. Like, I hope that someday you'll follow Christ. Um, nobody will notice that you didn't come up and take it, right? Nobody's, nobody's looking. Nobody's counting. Don't worry about that. Don't feel pressure. Um, but if you do know Jesus, come. Come and, and, and participate in this meal. Commune with God. We'll also have people up here to pray with you, right? It maybe you realize, like, you are living off of fumes of, of some stuff that God did in the past for you, and, and your relationship is, is just dry, uh, it reminds me of a, a Keith Green song. My, my eyes are dry, my faith is old, my heart is hard, my prayers are cold, but I know how it ought to be. Thank you. <laughs> I was confident with the first line. Man, if that's you today, come get prayer. Come be prayed for. There's nothing embarrassing about that. We all need prayer. I'm going to pray right now. The band's going to come up and, and lead us in, in worshiping the Lord. God, we thank you. We thank you that you, you didn't just free Israel. You didn't just forgive them. That you didn't just forgive us of our sin. But you want to know us, Lord. And we, we talk all the time about about this relationship that we have with you. And I just wonder how many people feel like it's a relationship, God. But I thank you for, for, for the picture in the tabernacle of the table with the bread on it that, that reminds us that this, this interaction, this transaction with you is, is unlike any other with any other supposed God. That you, you want us to know you. You know us. Lord, would we be your people? Would we meet with you? God, would we be changed by you, Lord. God, would we be a different people when we leave this place, when we live this week? God, would we be different enough that the world would see you, that we would have opportunities to share about you, God? Would you help us, Lord, to pray prayers that are bold, not faithless? We don't want to waste what you have given us, Lord. It's in your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen.